This is the Sensitive Rebel Podcast, and I'm your host, Steve McCready. Join me for conversations with people who see possibilities that compel them to go against the status quo, but who sometimes struggle to do so because of the noise and norms of the world. I call them Sensitive Rebels, and we'll discuss the challenges, successes, and lessons from their journeys as they keep moving forward in their quest to make a difference in the world. Hey, Sensitive Rebel, it's Steve. Just me today, going to be talking about a few different things. Attention, intention, and competition. And it's not just because I like words that end with the shun sound, that's just a coincidence. Let's start with attention and uh, looking at, say, podcasting versus social media versus any number of other mediums um, out there in the world about how we consume information in this day and age um, and some thoughts I have about that, especially as it relates to those of us who uh, maybe are a little bit more uh, sensitive and attuned to some of the the noise out in the world. The thing, so you, you've probably heard the term attention economy, and I have a lot of thoughts and opinions about this. I feel pretty strongly about it because what I see from a psychological framing is that we are increasingly being trained in a sense to be reactive to our environment, to the things in our environment, uh, in this case, specifically to the content in our environment, right? And you've seen as social media and social media platforms have evolved to shorter and shorter pieces of content to a more um, intensely stimulating visual noise, all kinds of different components to it. That's all really designed to one, grab our attention and two, to get us to react and engage. Because the more that we are engaged with that, the more that we will continue to watch it. And the more that we watch it, the more, of course, that they can feed advertising to our eyeballs. Because let's remember, all of these platforms, all of these big platforms are free, which really means you're just not paying for them with money. You are paying for them with attention and with information, right? which is being used to feed you ads and other things. And I'm not saying that's per se inherently bad or good or anything. It's just what is. But I think it's something to be conscious of because what it incentivizes is you spending more time looking at the platform and seeing things that you can be sold. And the more that you are trained to be reactive to the stimulus you're being given, the easier it is to manipulate, control, and persuade you. I'm I'm someone who don't doesn't always have the the best um, a skill at at focus um, anyway, and so something like this can make it even worse. And I found that when I spend more time on social media, as I really lose a lot of the intentionality in how I operate, and I tend to become more reactive. And I don't like that because it means I stop following my path and stop doing the things that really matter to me because I am just reacting. I'm not being deliberate and putting my attention to topics and places and content that actually is relevant or meaningful to me or to tasks that are, right? And so that's where I have some concerns with a lot of these things. And it's one of the things that I think 
in retrospect, I, I didn't realize this at the time, but I think when I look at something like podcasting, it's actually one of the things I like about it is that it is it requires a little bit more intentionality. Sure, you can subscribe to my podcast and it will show up in your feed, but it will show up there just as a podcast. It's not, you're not getting the stream of podcast episodes. It's just there. You can go get it and listen to it whenever you want. It's just like, Hey, there's a new episode, right? It's kind of, so it's, it's a little bit of a, a lighter form of interruption, I think. And, um, really encourages you to consume it more intentionally and deliberately. Now, interestingly, if you start asking people, you'll see this. A lot of folks have a very large queue of unwatched or unlistened to podcast episodes. And I think in part it's because they're been trained into that reactive mode and aren't deliberate about what is it that I want to learn? What is the thing that I want to be connecting to or, you know, putting my attention to and what uh, medium, what podcast, what thing supports that, right? That's a thing that I think we are losing our not so much ability. We're just losing the practice of doing it because we are in a world that has no lack of things that will vie for us at our attention and show us exciting, bright, shiny things at any given moment. So with all of that, it's to say, I think it's really, really important that you find a way to bring more intentionality to what you're doing and to keep that in mind as you're going through your day and your time online and really any number of things that you're doing, because that's one of the ways that you can stay on course because you can be mindful of what you're trying to do and ask yourself periodically, is this in line with that? Is this helping me get where I want to go? Is this providing what I'm looking for? Right. And again, if it is, that's great. It's just really easy to get pulled to where we're someplace that we don't want to be or someplace that isn't serving us, our values and our goals. So interested in your thoughts and your experiences around that for sure. The other thing that I want to connect this to is, and I've been saying this for years, over the time that I've worked as a therapist and then later as a coach, I've seen meditation and mindfulness work be something that has become more and more a part of the conversation, more and more a thing that is being promoted. And I think the reason why is because I think it, it like corresponds very closely to the rise of social media and the rise of the attention economy, because I think it is one of the most powerful tools that we have to help us be able to be more conscious and deliberate about both recognizing where our attention is, but also about redirecting it to places because it's really an attentional practice it can really help to give you um, improved ability to be both aware of what's going on for you, but also again, where you're, where you're putting your attention. Um, and so I think it's real valuable in that way, as is as simple as things like asking yourself at points during the day, right? Really checking in. What is it that I'm wanting to be doing? Uh, what is it that I'm wanting to be accomplishing and how am I doing on that? And if we just check periodically, we all get pulled off course and we live in a world that makes it really, really easy for us to get off course. As long as we check our course periodically and have systems to help with that, we can always just course correct. It's not a big deal. Just go, oh, of course. All right, I'm going to course correct now and make an adjustment. And I think building structures to support greater awareness of where we are and how it lines up with our course is one of the ways that we can combat the increasing pressure and um, outside forces that are really trying to capture and control our attention, frankly. So now to shift gears a little bit, let's talk about competition. 
And I think this is an important topic for those who fall into the sensitive rebel category because, well, let's just start that over. All right, so now I want to switch and talk about competition, which is a topic that I think for a lot of sensitive rebels is a difficult one. Uh, some of them, it's not that they aren't competitive. Some of the most competitive people I know would definitely qualify as, as sensitive rebels, but it's that competition, at least as how it is often shown and presented and navigated in, uh, in American culture anyways, very much this like there's winners and there's losers. And if you win, it's good. And if you lose, it's bad. And you want to like, just, you know, crush the other team. And it's just, it's this kind of very, I'm not sure who that's actually serving uh, unless you're a winner who wants to feel good about yourself, but is maybe struggling from a lack of uh, self-esteem or self-confidence and is using that as a vehicle to do it. I don't know. And I realize just how much of a like psychology cliche that sounds like, but at the same time, it's like, what's, I, I don't, I don't quite get the, you know, the importance of that. What I do get is the impact of it because when competition is put in that way, what happens is for a lot of people, they don't even want to go and compete because it's just like, who wants to be a part of that? Who wants to be a loser when losing is looked at in the negative way that it often is, right? And winning is the end-all be-all. And it's like, hang on a second. What is the purpose of competition? Is it just about like winners and losers? Does it have to be? What if it's actually about testing yourself seeing where you are and using it as something to push and spur you to do better. And that leads to the thing that made me want to talk about this topic. And that is a little bit of reality TV, um, which is its own topic that (laughs) we'll get into sometime, but one, one specific show, the great British baking show, uh, which seasons, I think five through nine are currently available on Netflix. Um, I don't believe the earlier seasons are currently available anywhere, but I've heard of the show before I had never watched it. Uh, but recently Tanya was like, Hey, would you be interested in checking this out? And she thought that I might um, like it as well as my daughter, Sarah. And it's not because I'm into baking. (laughs) I mean, I'm not, I I can manage my way around a kitchen, but I'm hardly great at it. And especially with baking, and I'm not enough of a adventurous eater that I'm doing anything terribly adventurous or exotic, but the show is great. Like I love this show and it is probably my, my favorite like reality TV competition show that I've ever seen. I'm not sure if I like it better than the amazing race. I haven't decided yet, but, um, cause the amazing race is that's a whole other, a whole other thing. And I really do love that show too. But most of those though, most of the reality TV competition shows, not my thing like survivor. No, thank you. But this one is great. And here is why it gives you an entirely different idea of what competition is and what competition can be because it is not about outwitting the other bakers. It is not about sabotaging the other bakers. It's not about making alliances to get rid of the other bakers. It's not about anything like that. It is a group of people who really enjoy baking and the challenge of baking and are trying to be as good as they can be at it and see as they're all doing in a group who happens to be better 
and who happens to be the one who's maybe a little bit behind. Because yes, there are people get people get eliminated and someone gets taken off the show every week. And there's a star baker. So there is that piece of it. But they, they just the atmosphere of the show is so different. So the basic idea for those of you who don't know about the show is there's so it starts with like I think it's like 12, you know, 12 competitors. In every episode, there's basically three different bakes that they have to do. And one is a, um, a signature bake, one is a technical challenge, and one is a showstopper. And the technical is given to them. They don't know what it's going to be. It's a secret. The other ones, it's a certain type of thing, but they get some choice in what they do. And so there's two judges and um, it's, you know, so they basically evaluate the things. And then at the end of the episode, they decide who's the star baker for the week and who's going home. And it's such a different sort of vibe about it because even when people, cause there's God, there's some, there's some screw ups and there's definitely, you know, and the judges are not hesitant to say like, this is not good. You know, this is terrible. This is whatever, but it's, it's this way in which it's clear that it's like that bake wasn't good. It's not, you're a loser. And that difference is, I think, huge. And the other part is everyone seems to recognize this is stressful and difficult and challenging and everyone supports and encourages each other. So you'll see cases where one of the bakers gets done with theirs a little bit early and they help someone else who is you know, struggling at the last minute to get something done. They're all supportive, encouraging. They, when one of them gets compliments, they'll all, you know, the other ones will, will cheer them on. And it's just like this really cool thing. It's like, everyone's trying to do their best. Everyone wants to win. But no one's trying to do it at someone else's expense. It's really about everyone's just a group of people all trying to do their best and see how it turns out. When someone gets sent home, everyone's like hugging them and, you know, sad to see them go. And it's like just this very, very different vibe. And at the same time, this does not get in the way of these people pushing and challenging themselves. We're just on the end of season nine uh, right now, and we're starting there at the most recent one. And one specifically, one of the bakers who's in the final, at the first like week or two, we're like, this guy's not going to be here very long. But it's been really fascinating to watch how he has pushed and challenged himself and kept going and kept getting better. And now he's really, really impressive. And it's just watching his skill develop. And I've seen that with some of the other ones too. And it's like, so clearly there's something happening here that is facilitating growth for these folks in their skill. And I'm not entirely sure what it is, but it certainly isn't a like kill or be killed. There's winners and losers and you, you know, you're a hammer or a nail, any of those sorts of like competition um, type dynamics. It's a very different sort of thing. And what it seems to produce is some really impressive stuff like the, um, just as an example from the, the semifinal episode, there were down to four bakers and one of the judges, his name's Paul Hollywood and Hollywood is actually his legit name. He's, he's British. Um, if you don't know who he is, you can look him up, but it's like, that's actually his name, not some flashy thing he made up. And so one of the things he does when someone does a really exceptional job, he'll give them a handshake. That's like, it's like, it's like a, whoa, kind of moment. And so, um, on the, the signature bake, which is the first competition for each episode, he gave three of the four people handshakes. It was like crazy. And, and they well-deserved. Like these are all just impressive. And you watch as the season goes on, even with these more difficult challenges, people get better. So clearly something is happening here in this environment. And so I, I love that. I love how supportive and encouraging they are. I love that they're all still pushing themselves. And I think as such, pushing each other because everyone knows it's a competitive environment. 
And so I think there's a lot of lessons that could be taken from that. One for, I'll say, American society as a whole, um, my own commentary on that piece. But I think for any of us individually in how we approach any number of things, including business, right? There's a lot of room in the world for different types of people doing similar businesses, doing them in different ways. For me, I think the lesson here is about learning how to, one, compete against your past self. And two, how to see others as a source of like inspiration, as a source of competition in a good way, encouraging or testing you to see what's possible and to get you thinking about what you might be able to do rather than about, oh, they're better than me. Oh, they're, I'm, I'm better than them. This whole you know, comparison, again, isn't one's good, one's bad. It's more just about like, what can you learn from them and from yourself and how can you take and use that? to do better next time. And I think that's really the the core idea there. And how can you approach competition as a thing that actually is, um, can be healthy, right? Doesn't have, and it doesn't have to be like mean or nasty or aggressive or any of that. So really two takeaways. One, if you haven't check out the show, it's, it's very, it's interesting and it's different. And of course, part of it's just it being a British thing. And it's interesting to hear also um, all the different accents uh, on the show and um, to see the diversity of the contestants because they all live in England, but a lot of them come from other countries originally. And it's just, it's just a very interestingly diverse group of people. And so it's really cool to watch from that standpoint, as well as watching the competition and really just seeing what people are capable of. Very, very cool, very inspiring. And so something to to check out. But then two, think about how can you compete in a way that actually serves you? One of the things that I like on that front is competing against your past self, right? Become a better you, I think is always a good one. Also looking at what other people are doing, not from a better, worse standpoint, but from the standpoint of like, what can you aspire to? What can you use as, you know, again, inspiration as a, a model of something like, oh, I'd like to do that or like to do something like that instead of going, oh, they're so much better than me. They're so far ahead of me. I can never catch up those sorts of ideas and just saying, what can I take from it? How can I apply that? How can I push myself to go better? We, we like competition. We like to challenge ourselves. We like to push ourselves. We like to assess where we are and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. And that's one of, I think, the lessons, not probably intentionally at all, but one of the lessons of the Great British Baking Show is that competition can produce greatness while still being warm and friendly and loving and accepting. Check it out. Interested in your thoughts on it. All right. So that's it for today. I am working on a couple of cool interviews that I'm hoping that I'll be able to have for you soon and got some other ideas for things I want to explore on the show. So definitely some things to look forward to. Hope you're well. And until next time, keep moving forward. I'll talk to you soon. That's it for this episode of the Sensitive Rebel Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can get show notes, information about my coaching services, or just send me a note at sensitiverebel.com. Until next time, keep moving forward.